I said, what if we focused instead of crafting lessons, creating moments and experiences that make students come back every single day, regardless of uh, their disability, what language they speak, uh, their backgrounds. And um, that's, that's where the idea was, was birth. You know, um, I truly believe that kids should have access to a great experience, that magical Disney experience, regardless of where they're, they're coming from. How cool would it be if every school made students feel as if, hey, if I could choose between staying at home and being at school, I want to go to school. Welcome to Highest Aspirations, an education podcast that explores the world of English language learners and how we can make a greater impact. Each episode, we bring you voices from across the ELL community to discuss the issues that matter most. Highest Aspirations is brought to you by Elevation Education, your partner for ELL program management and instruction. Hey everybody, welcome back to Highest Aspirations. I'm your host, Steve Sophronis. What if schools were run like Disney? How would this philosophy affect the educational experiences of all students, and particularly ELs? What can we learn from Disney about providing access to opportunities that keep students coming back to school? We discuss these questions and much more with Linmara Colon, Director of English Learner Programs at Prince Williams County Public Schools in Maryland. Lynn brings the perspective of a teacher, assistant principal, and principal, positions she has held since joining education in 2003. As principal of an elementary school in 2014, she served over 1,000 students in grades kindergarten through fifth grade and was able to increase reading engagement by leading a culture of literacy, personalized learning, and collaborative learning teams. Lynn believes all schools should be run like Disney, providing magical experiences to every student regardless of their background. She now heads the office that provides comprehensive registration services to English learners and immigrant children, including translation and interpretation services, to a school division serving over 90,000 students. These students represent 124 countries and 149 languages. Cologne holds two master's degrees, a degree in curriculum and instruction, and the other in educational leadership. She is currently pursuing her doctorate in education through Old Dominion University. Before we get started with our conversation with Lynn, just a quick reminder that you can stay connected with us by joining our EL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community. There you can leave comments about this episode and all our other podcast episodes. You can also engage with great content like our Whiteboard Wednesday short video series, blog posts, and lots of articles. And finally, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. This will help us continue bringing you the best topics and guests on future episodes of Highest Aspirations. As always, thanks for listening, and here's our conversation with Linmara Colon. Lin Colon, thank you so much for joining us on Highest Aspirations. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Absolutely. So let's start in this conversation right away by talking a little bit about your educational philosophy, which I was really intrigued by, and we've kind of crafted this whole conversation around the idea of your expression, lead with magic. And looking at your website and sort of speaking with you before and doing a little research, you believe that all schools should be run like Disney. 
I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about what you mean by that, because like I said, we're going to kind of frame the rest of the conversation around this running schools like Disney. Uh, that's awesome. So, you know, as educators, we often connect experiences to the work that we're doing in schools. And it all started with a visit. Um, uh, we went to the park and I went to Disney as an adult. I was born and raised in Puerto Rico, so we, we couldn't afford it when I was little. And I remember just going in and um, just experiencing this magical time where it didn't matter that I paid $10, right, for a hot dog and that the lines were long and we were all sweaty, but it was really about how we were made feel. So at that time, I was leading a school that was in need of some improvement. And when I came back, I said, what if we focus instead of crafting lessons, creating moments and experiences that made students come back every single day, regardless of uh, their disability, what language they speak, uh, their backgrounds. And um, that's, that's where the idea was, was birth. You know, um, I truly believe that kids should have access to a great experience, that magical Disney experience, regardless uh, where they're, they're coming from. If you take a look at um, most of the, the children that benefit from Make-A-Wish Foundation, they, they want to go to Disney as their last wish. How cool would it be if every school made students feel as if, hey, if I could choose between staying at home and being at school, I want to go to school. Yeah, I love it. And, you know, I think all good educators sort of feel that way, but, but we, I've never met anybody who's framed it in this way. And I was really intrigued by the, by the whole idea. So like a part of that metaphor that we discussed when we initially spoke is that everyone can get into the park. In this case, the school is the park, but not everyone at this point necessarily has access to the rides and the rides being classes, you know, it may be AP classes or IB class, whatever the case may be, specific learning opportunities, et cetera. So shifting over to the idea of, of English learners, how do you see that playing out? The idea of everyone can get in and access the rides with English learners. How do we go about setting that up? Well, you know, I say that sometimes um, we see schools that they think they are providing equal access to students by letting into the park, right? And then we quickly realize that uh, they're not having access to the entire experience uh, because they have to wait outside of the line, right? Right. Uh, so, so just being very intentional when we are crafting these moments, when we are all sitting at the table planning experiences for students, when we are offering uh, after school opportunities, uh, tutoring, and everything we're doing, keeping in mind our learner. Uh, because there's different needs, right? And if you don't understand what your students need, you can't be intentional about creating those experiences. Yeah, so it starts off with understanding what your students need. Yes, and you know, I, I always say that we all play a key role, right? And um, I'm now in, in central um, office supporting schools, and I make it a point to let people know I am here to remove roadblocks for you to be successful. I'm not expecting you to be the, the expert uh, in English learners, but I am here to assist. So when I talk about the dinner table, 
uh, I have this idea of like a family gathering, right? We all bring something different and that's the way planning should be when we're talking about students. So you have someone whose expertise is reading, someone else might be special needs, you have your English learner's teacher, uh, and then making sure that we allow those voices to be heard during the conversation so that we can be intentional about those decisions that we're making for English learners. Yeah, and for that to work, everybody's gotta be at the table thinking about the needs of the students, right? Oh, yes. So let's, so let's dive in a little bit, let's put a bit of an example here. Like, let's say I'm a high school English learner. I have limited language proficiency. I come into the park. I want to ride Space Mountain. I don't want to get on the little roller coaster that's designed for people that are, that are younger than me. What needs to happen for me to be able to do that, to have that experience? So I think this is where differentiation is key and, and understanding the learner again. Uh, every ride when you go to Disney has it, its warnings, right? And there are rights for everyone, no matter your age um, and, you know, your style and the need. So never compromising the experience or end result, which I think it's what ensures satisfaction. And in the classroom, this means making thoughtful choices about the things that we're buying, the resources that we're using for our kids. Uh, I know Disney, they survey their customers constantly. And this made me wonder how many times do we survey students to learn their needs and the, the expectations that they have of us? What is it that they're looking for within our school systems? Uh, professional learning is also extremely important. Are we trying to learn about L's or are we trying to dig deeper into special populations such as newcomers, long-term English learners. I think this makes a difference and is important because every, every category has unique needs. Yeah, absolutely. And I like what you said about the surveys and you bring up a really, really good point. I mean, I, I was a teacher for 17 years and it wasn't until later in my career that I really kind of was craving that feedback from my students. And I taught high schools. So these, these students were perfectly capable of providing really good, solid feedback about what I was doing wasn't until later that I decided to do it. And that was just a decision that I had made on my own. Let me get some feedback from my students. And I'll tell you, that changed my practice. And, and there is nothing that I look forward to more in terms of reading feedback uh, or any kind of like um, assessment or anything from my students than, than reading that feedback. I mean, sometimes, you know, it's like any teacher, you put off the essays that you have to read because you have so many of them, piles of them. But as soon as I got feedback from the students, I dug in and, and we discussed it. Um, and it was hugely, highly impactful, but that was not something that was, that was expected nor encouraged necessarily, you know, from the leadership at either a school that, that I worked at. I think it's really powerful. Oh, it can be definitely powerful. I will say that once I started doing that when I was a principal, it saved me so much money and, and it, it, it kept me from making a lot of purchasing mistakes because sometimes we want to buy things as adults that we think are best for kids. And then when you have conversations with them about, hey, how do you like this product? Or how is this enhancing your educational experience? And they'll give you the truth. They will tell you the truth. Uh, so I was, I was able to make a lot of changes, focus on my primary customers who are the students. Yeah, yep. You know, related to the point also that you just made about, um, about 
allowing students to ride certain rides and giving them kind of the tools to be able to do it and differentiating. I think a lot of it also has to do with just, just getting to know the students um, sort of on, on a personal basis, understanding who they are as learners, which really helps increase their motivation. And I mentioned that, I think I would have mentioned it anyway, but it's, it's even stronger because I actually just earlier today, I recorded an episode of the podcast with one of the winners of our Take the Pledge scholarships, young lady from Pembroke Pines um, in Florida. She's going to Dartmouth College next year. And we were talking about sort of, you know, she had overcome all these obstacles. She came from Cuba when she was nine years old, learned to speak English. Now she's on her way to an Ivy League school. She was a top student, amazing thing. She's going to be doing biomedical engineering. And I asked her, you know, how did you get past those, those, those obstacles? And she said it was, it was motivation. I needed to be motivated. And I needed to know that my teachers understood who I was and what made me tick. And they believed in the things that I was doing. And that resonated a little bit in sort of what you were saying about, about differentiating and making sure that we understand who our students are and what their needs are. That's awesome. Yeah, it was an amazing, really amazing conversation. Um, okay, so you know, one of the ways that we traditionally, or I guess not traditionally, but lately, I guess, have been sort of taking down barriers is, um, is with technology integration. And you know, you, that's been a passion of yours for a while. You've worked with Apple and the Department of Education, creating their tech toolkit for ELs, which um, is getting a lot of press lately, which is great. Could you talk with us about how technology might allow EL students to access more rides in the park, kind of sticking with that Disney uh, analogy? That's awesome. And this is a topic that gets me excited. Uh, in addition to that, I sit on the VISTI uh, board for our state. And, you know, if done right, it can be a game changer. Uh, a lot of people get surprised or, or make an interesting face when I talk about technology and else because they have seen our kids from a deficit lens for so long. And, and I think what technology has done for our field and our students is uh, allowed us to bring experiences to students beyond the worksheet. And you can't teach language using paper, pencil. Kids need to um, interact. They need to be creating. Uh, what, what technology has done is also brought awareness about the tools we were choosing for else. So I know in our district, we've done an amazing job going beyond consuming uh, software and technology and having our else create and really engage with the tools that we're purchasing. Uh, some schools might think that they are providing access, but if the tool does not meet the need of our English learners, we're not doing any service to our students. So to buy something for the entire school population and say, well, English learners have access, uh, it, we're really fooling ourselves because the goal is to make sure that our students acquire the language. So, so the, the way I attach this to that Disney metaphor is that, you know, teachers and developers need to be aware of these needs because they become the engineers that craft these rides that target what our kids need, which is language acquisition. That's great. And in order to be able to do that, they really also need to understand the power of whatever tool they're trying to, to use, which means they need to kind of think of what they're trying to do first in order to use that as a tool to engineer the experience, right? Like you can't just say, oh, I, I, how do I use this tech? Or, or I want to use this tech piece, you know, today. Let me plug it in. It's got to be really thought out. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about, you know, the idea of the SAMR model and how that applies to English learners substitution, augmentation, modification, and redefinition. How might we go about 
redefining the experience of English learners so that you, like, as you mentioned, they're, they're creating rather than consuming. Totally, totally. Yeah, I could talk about this all day. I have a bit of a uh, tech background as well, and I'm really passionate about it. But I want to shift over because I want to stick with um, the idea of the park, the Disney metaphor, and sort of um, what the way that you look at it with schools. So one thing that you have said when, we, uh, when, when you talk about um, is that when you talk with principals, many of them, and I've seen this too, they admit that they just don't know what to do with their ELs, which I actually find refreshing when somebody says, look, I, I'm really not sure what to do. It's, I haven't been trained on it. This is a new problem for me. And in many ways, principals are the people who, going back to the, the parks metaphor, are the people who decide who gets access to which rides. So how do district leaders like you go about giving them, the principals and school leaders, the tools they need to ensure an equitable experience for all learners? This is a more of a leadership question. Sure. And, you know, something about Disney, it's all about the way you're being made feel, right? Um, and I have found in my role that relationships matter. Um, Disney's goal is to have people come back to the park. So the way I see it in my role is I want people to call me, not because there's a problem, but because they see value in the work that I'm doing. So from the start, and I hear this all the time, that whenever you move to central office, people say, oh, so you're moving to the dark side. <laughs> well, I'm cognizant of that. Knowing that, I made it a point to build relationships uh, because I can see how leaders can become overwhelmed with information or when they are being provided feedback and taking the time to explain to them how our students learn and some of their unique needs, um, it's very important. So allowing space for vulnerability has been key because being a school leader is hard. I was a principal and uh, I loved it, but I also know it's a very transactional role. So you have the pressure of leading so many programs and being an expert at everything. Uh, so letting them know that I am in their corner has proven to be very valuable. Taking them to professional development sessions and planning my support with their needs in mind, it's a priority for me. And a big part of my vision is to develop leaders of else. So I see it as I want you to, you know, uh, understand the rides that our, our kids are riding, right? And make it an experience for you and, and create moments where you value our partnership. And I'm in, I'm in a place of servant leadership uh, that is so humbling because it's not about me, but it starts with me. So that customer service approach in everything that I do is so key and important because if, if they don't open the doors for me to support them, then kids don't win as a result. Uh, so I'm very intentional about that. You know, what's interesting is that just listening to you speak, I mean, the relationships, the building, the relationships that you want to build with school leaders, it's very much like I would want to build with the students I have in my classes. I mean, so much of what we do is about building these relationships. And you mentioned vulnerability, which I feel like is getting uh, finally a lot of its due attention at this point with sort of the work of Brene Brown and others who are writing about this and really talking about it. Um, is so important because people are just in education, I feel like in my experience at least, and I think this is changing, 
are just so afraid of making a mistake. And you know, when you said, I don't want them to call me, you know, when there's a problem or there's an issue, I want them to call me to partner with them. Um, that that's, that's a big, important change. Um, I feel like, and it, it, I think it goes from the ground up from the students all the way to the superintendent. Oh, well, and you know, something that I, I've learned very quickly is you can sit here and wait for them to call, but treating schools as I treated my classrooms. So as a principal, I was in classrooms all the time. So now in my role, I see schools as not my classroom. So, and it has been a beautiful thing because every school is different and you can't really craft personalized support unless you've been there. So for me to, to give everyone the same type of support or offer the same professional development or same resources, I would be fooling myself because every school has unique needs. So being out in the field with them and letting them know, hey, I, I'm here with you. We're in this together uh, has been very, very powerful. And I think um, I you know, have better relationships with some colleagues that I was not as close uh, to. I was an elementary principal, so I had to work really hard to earn the trust of our secondary principals. And that takes time and understanding that it takes me being there and really showing them I care and I'm gonna be transparent about what I'm doing with my time, with money and resources uh, has been key. I'm still working on it. Uh, and what I know for sure is that that has to be a priority if I want to move uh, from this concept that people often say, oh, you move to the dark side. Yeah. Yep. I mean, one thing that I, I was never sort of on the trajectory is never in my plan, I guess, to be a school leader. But one thing that I always um, sort of envied about school leaders uh, at the district level is the ability to go to different schools and see how those schools are so different, particularly with with language learners, just because that's where my passion is. So um, that that's an that must be a really exciting thing for you to be able to do, and and, and I'm sure um, also has a set of challenges as well. But what an exciting thing to be able to do to see different schools in action and their cultures and how they're serving this this really interesting demographic of students. Like I have a park hopper. Yeah, right. That's what's another. There you go. So you've tied it in. It works for everything. So let's stick with it. What about families and communities? Where, where do they reside in this Disney metaphor and how, and how do we help them help their kids? So he, here's the thing. Um, they should all get a fast pass. And usually our families, because they don't speak the language, uh, they get the regular pass, right? And then the ones that are very vocal get the, the fast pass or the VIP ticket. And we should be able to offer that to all families, regardless of what language they speak, because they are part of this work and helping them understand our educational system and finding ways to meet them where they are is really where the magical moments happen. Uh, I truly believe that we cannot assume they will operate the same way our English speaking families do. Uh, that would be unfair to, to make that assumption. And from their work to the struggles, some experience with moving to the United States, uh, those serving else really need to be aware of. I, I remember the last school that I led was, had a big African community. And from the outside, 
you would think that these families were African-American. So I quickly learned that they operate totally different from my background, which is Hispanic, and from African-American families. So just taking the time to listen, and later on when the relationships were built, ask questions, was just a, a beautiful thing. And it helped me so much in leading the school because I was able to be, again, intentional about when I schedule things, how I um, connected with them, uh, why they felt the way they did about the intervention process, because they were scared that intervention meant uh, suspected disability, uh, the, how they worship, and you know what, they, what that meant in relationship to the school. So taking, taking the time to go beyond one multicultural night is, is key. Yeah, I mean, understanding families and family dynamics is so crucial in terms of providing an equitable experience for everybody. And it fits right into that Disney metaphor. I mean, you know, is, and I, I just, I was thinking as you were speaking that if families can come in and really not, I mean, it, people who are kind of born here and have been and had been through the experience of education here in the United States kind of understand a little bit about what it's like. They may have preconceived notions of, uh, based on their own positive or negative experiences, but they've been to school, they've seen it. But for someone who is coming from a totally different place, maybe they don't have a, a, a you know, an expansive um, educational background or just one that's totally different. If they come into this place that is designed to kind of let everyone in, um, and has this kind of magical feeling about it in a perfect world. I mean, that's got to be a breath of fresh air for parents um, and communities. And then, you know, you're bringing them in to see the positive and the good things so that when there is a challenge or there is a problem, you know, you have a, you have a partnership, which is crucial. Yeah. All right. So one thing that, that you said when we last um, talked, and I, I, I remember I sort of was taking notes and I wrote it down and I, I, I put it in bold because I, I think that this is so important for a school leader. And this is coming from, you know, a veteran teacher who is never a school leader. And I saw leaders who I thought um, really lived this and I saw leaders who did not. And so I want to kind of quote it. You said, I will not apologize for putting kids first. And again, I, I love this attitude. My question is kind of play devil's advocate a little bit. When conflicts come up, particularly like with English learners, which they do, um, in terms of sort of who can get on which ride, what are some strategies that you've used to successfully resolve challenges and issues that have come up, whether that be, you know, with, with other educators or with community members or whatever the case may be? So I will say my primary job and commitment is, is to the kids. And um, in my leadership, I, I have all stakeholders in mind. Um, but the kids is the reason I'm here. And I always say that as long as I serve them, I will be satisfied, uh, especially for our L's. They're counting on me to advocate for them and fight this good fight for them. I sit in this role out of purpose, so I understand firsthand the challenges and, and struggles that one experiences as an English learner because it happened to me. So at times I get very passionate about certain things because I experience them. Um, I'll give you an example. I get very passionate about retention of L's um, because it was something that was suggested to be done to me when I first tried coming to the country when I was 10. And every time I hear about the retention of L's, it just 
sparks those feelings that I um, experienced when I was 10. So, uh, you know, at times it means having difficult conversations with adults about our kids' needs. So I really try to inform people that come across as opinionated in regards to some issues about English learners. But I love Baruti Caffelli in one of his books, uh, he asks, is my school better because I lead it? And are my students at a better advantage because of me? And those are two principles that I have present every day. Is my school division better because I lead the L office? And are kids at an advantage because of my leadership? And, and that comes with the courage to have um, sometimes difficult conversations, sometimes to bring issues to the table. I think as long as you, you have the data to show it and it's kids first, uh, people have a tendency to, to listen and allow you to challenge their, their thinking. But if kids don't win as a result of my leadership, then I have failed at my job. And I wake up every day knowing that I'm operating out of purpose and knowing that my commitment is to, to student learning. Yeah, those are two simple but really great kind of vision or mission statements to keep in mind as you go through your, your day-to-day and, and your career. And I think having those um, sort of pillars is key in being able to look at yourself in the mirror and, and, and make adjustments if necessary and be able to come back to the original question you know, speak with others in order to make changes. And I think the more that you believe in the mission that you're trying to accomplish, which is a very simple one, put kids first, uh, the easier it is to have those difficult conversations. So shifting over to a couple questions we like to ask everyone who comes on Highest Aspirations, we have a nice uh, sort of book reading list at this point that we get from people from this next question. I want to ask you if there's a book or other resource that has influenced you either personally or professionally that you'd like to share with listeners. Oh, I love reader. I'm an avid reader, so I can mention many, but I recently read uh, Atomic Habits and loved it, loved it. Uh, But right now I am reading Principles by Ray Dalio and I am blown away. Um, It's a book that I know I'm going to keep forever and it has practical advice for principles in life and in work. It has really challenged my thinking about how to stay true to things that, that I believe. Uh, and just, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's really, really good. You should check it out. It has great reviews um, by, by really successful people, but he does a really good job just challenging your thinking about just staying true to certain things, um, integrity and other you know, areas that I am really, really enjoying. Great. Well, thanks for those. So atomic habits and principles, and we'll, um, we'll link to those, um, in the, in the podcast notes. And by the way, I should say that like, I feel like the only books I read now are books that people, um, tell me about, uh, on this podcast, which is actually really great because I never have to think just people say, read this book and they're so excited about it. And I do. And I have never picked up a book that somebody's recommended and put it down. So, so this is, this is as much about me as it is everybody else, (laughs) which I'll I'll be totally upfront with at this point, but we do have a nice little reading list that we send out later. And, and you, like you yourself, um, Lynn have put out some really great stuff. Your website, 
uh, I thought was really cool and really gets into this Disney metaphor. And that's kind of how I crafted a lot of the questions here. Um, and based on another conversation that you and I had, but I'd love it if you could just let us know about that website and any other place that, that, um, that you can uh, tell us about where we can learn more about the work you're doing. Sure. So my website is leadwithmagic.com and I'm also very active on social media. So I am at the Cologne underscore S, the Colognes on Twitter, and then my name in, on Instagram and, and Facebook. Uh, so yeah, I would like to think that I'm pretty responsive. So anyone that is just in this work and wants to uh, impact the life of kids, feel free to send me a message and I will be happy to engage in the conversation. And I will absolutely confirm that you were very responsive when I reached out to you. So uh, I appreciate that. And that's what led to this conversation. We will post um, all of the resources that you mentioned, including the books and your content information and your social media and your website um, on the show notes, which you can find at elevationeducation.com slash EL community. And with that, Lynn, I just really want to thank you for coming on and, um, and taking a bit of a different approach to the way we kind of go through this podcast with this Disney metaphor, which was beautiful. Um, and I really appreciate your time. Oh, it's been lovely being here. Thanks for listening to Highest Aspirations. If you liked our show, please be sure to join the ELL community at elevationeducation.com slash ELL community, where you'll find all the episodes of Highest Aspirations and other resources to help educators maximize the impact on their English language learners. Also, let us know how we're doing by writing a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts.